Good morning. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the privilege of serving as the senior pastor here as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're with us today as we've come together to celebrate Jesus and to worship him and to look to his word uh, together. It's really, um, I wanted to share this with you. As a church family, it's our desire that we would become more and more a church family of prayer. And uh, so it's been encouraging. On Wednesday mornings, we get together at 7 o'clock, right? Is that right? Yeah, 7 o'clock. We get together at 7 o'clock here at the building to pray, and we have uh, college students, young adults, and not as young adults, I'm one of those, that come together to pray on a weekly basis. And I would encourage you that if your schedule allows you to come weekly or occasionally, come join us at 7 o'clock on Wednesday mornings for prayer. And then as I was getting ready to come up and preach, I looked down at my phone and I saw a text from a church member and they just simply said, Alan, I'm praying for you this morning. And I know that uh, many of you, uh, hopefully all of you pray for me and I'm grateful for that. We want to be a church that seeks the Lord together and so we want to be a church that's a praying church. I want to let you know about a couple of things real quick. Uh, First of all, uh, we are collecting this month uh, for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for uh, North American Missions, and uh, so far we have received $2,346, which is good news. And here's some more good news. That's only from six families. So can you imagine if all of us gave a little something, uh, how far uh, we could we could make to send money uh, for North American Missions? So I would encourage you to pray about how's the Lord leading you to give. You can give this month through all of our normal uh, avenues of giving. And then also I want to let you know that we do have a mission trip or ministry trip coming up going to Guatemala in the month of June, and we are still in need of a couple more folks, especially if we have some men that might be able to go. If you're interested in that, let me know. We sang just a moment ago from Psalm 34, and uh, we also heard uh, Howard read just the first verse or two. I'm not going to read all of Psalm 34, but I do want to read some of it because it does tie into what we're talking about today. Uh, It is calling us to praise the Lord and to magnify him. And in verse 4 it says, I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from my fears. In verse 6 he says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. It says in verse 7 that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. It's it's talking about us uh, seeking him and tasting and finding that he is good. And then he goes on and says, uh, let's see, uh, in verse uh, 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against all those who do evil. It says, when the righteous, in verse 17, cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. It says in 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. Then it says in verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This morning, we are taking a small break from the book of Acts because we got to the end of missionary journey number one, and then in uh, the next few weeks, we're headed towards Easter. So for this week and the next three weeks after that, so for four weeks, we're going to look to the gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at the life of Jesus and head into 
uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. So be, uh, be following along with us as we do that. When you came in this morning, you should have picked up a worship guide. And at the bottom of the worship guide, it shows you the next week we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 16. But today we're looking at Matthew chapter 11. I encourage you to grab a Bible. If you have one with you, if you don't have one with you, there should be a, a hardbound Bible near you and a chair underneath you or around you. If you don't own a Bible or you need another one or whatever, feel free to take that. That'll be a gift from us to you. As you turn to Matthew chapter um, 11, I wanted to start by asking you a question. Now, have you ever tried to carry a heavy load? You're like, yeah, I went to the grocery store yesterday, I got 18 bags and I carried them in two arms and I made it all the way to the house with them, right? But have you ever tried to carry a heavy load? Many times we start off with what's a heavy load and it seems quite manageable or bearable at least, but over time it quickly we're reminded we just can't do it. As I thought about carrying heavy loads, I thought of my early days in Boy Scouts. In my early days of Boy Scouts, we went, uh, we went camping quite a bit, but this particular camping trip, we were going to hike into our campsite. And we knew that before going in. And so we were to pack a backpack that we could carry in as we go from the parking lot or wherever we went and hike the trail and get to the campground. And so I had two problems. Number one, you're like, you had more than two problems. But I had two that I want to draw to your attention about carrying a heavy load. I, I had a backpack that really wasn't a backpack. It was like a bag that went on your back. Like, it's not the backpacks we have of today. This is 40 years ago. Actually, yeah, 40 years ago. It was kind of a bag that carried a few things, and I had it on my back. It had no frame. It had no good cinching up things on the side. It just was not good, and so it kind of weighed you down. But bigger than that, my bigger mistake was this. Go back with me. I don't know if they still sell these or not, but go back with me 40 years ago. Do you remember the red and white Igloo Playmate coolers that the lid folded over the top, right? Okay. So I'm camping, walking into the campsite, and I carried one of those bad boys. Not the smartest thing. I'm sure it was loaded down with Dr. Pepper and Snickers. I don't know what all I had in that bad boy, but I got out and started hiking. Can you picture this? Like we're hiking into camp. I've got a backpack that's not a real backpack, and I'm carrying one of those igloos. I don't know what I was thinking. I was a sixth or seventh grade boy, I guess. And so I'm carrying it. And I promise you, it felt like we walked 10 miles it probably was a quarter of a mile or a half a mile. I don't know how far it was, but I was dying under the load. It just didn't make sense. I'm shifting hands left, right, left, right. I could carry it with both hands. I looked like a goober out there, you know, whatever. But when we carry a heavy load, it weighs us down. My question for you is this. What kind of load are you carrying this morning? I don't know how your week has been. I do know that my week had some eventful stuff in it, and I know that I carried some load this week that I didn't really have to. And maybe you've come in this morning, and you're carrying something. And I want us to look to God's Word. I want us to ask the question, you see at the top of the sermon, it's titled, What's That You're Carrying? And we're going to see what Jesus has to say about all of this. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25 through 30. These are the words of Jesus because it says, At that time Jesus declared, and here's what he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What might God's word, what might Jesus' words have to say to you and I today about the burdens that we're carrying and what we should do with them? On your sermon notes, you're going to see a few points. You can follow along and take notes if you'd like to. The first thing you need to see is that Jesus calls us to come to him. Jesus calls us to come to him. Look at verse 28. I'm going to look at the other verses in a moment. But verse 28, Jesus says, come to me. This word in the Greek, the word that is used here for the word come, is the same word that we see in Matthew chapter verse 19. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus is talking to Peter and Andrew, and he calls them to come and to follow him. In the ESV, Matthew 4, 19 says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That English says, follow me, but in the Greek, it's actually two words. It's not just follow, it's actually come, follow. And so when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come, he's saying, come and follow me. Jesus calls us to come and follow him. When Jesus says come, he's saying, follow me. Now, to fully understand what he means by come and follow me, we have to go back and look at verses 25 and 26. In verse 25 and 26, we have what at first glance seems to be an odd prayer. Jesus' prayer to the Father is recorded in verse 25. And he's praising God for some things, his Father for some things. And it may seem odd that he's praising God for the things that he's praising him for. You see, he's praising, in verse 25 and 26, God for hiding certain things and revealing certain things. Let's look at it together. He says, I thank you, Father. It could say, I praise you. Either one is a good interpretation. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Here's what I thank you for. That you have hidden these things. We're going to talk about what these things are in a moment. That you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. And then in 25, 6, he kind of puts an exclamation point on it. Yes, Father. For such was your gracious will. It seems a bit odd that Jesus is praising the Father for hiding certain things from certain people. And he says, this is a good, gracious will of yours, Father. What is all of this about? In verse 25, he says, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. These things are in reference to the message and activities of the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying that the messages, message and activities of the kingdom of heaven are actually hidden from the wise and understanding. You're like, I don't understand what that is all about. The reality is, the wise and understanding are according to the world's view. 
The wise and understanding think they have it all together, and so therefore they're not able to see the truth of God's word. Look back with me to the verses that precede this. Just before Jesus says these words in 25 through 30, he says some other words beginning in verse 20. Matthew chapter 11 verse 20 says that Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. What we see in this verse is that some people completely miss the activity of God. Some people back then and some people today totally are oblivious to what God is doing. And according to what Jesus' prayer says, it's because these things are hidden from the, the wise and understanding as far as the world is concerned. And then if you were to read through verses 20 through 24, you're going to see that Jesus lists three cities in, in the region of Galilee and Israel that he says these three cities are going to experience judgment. Chorazin, I would never say that, that city's name correctly, Bethsaida and Capernaum. Look down at verse 23, and we're going to see why these cities missed out. It says, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, which was an evil city in the Old Testament, it would have remained until this day. He says, Capernaum, you think you're high and mighty. Capernaum, you've got a great bit of pride. You think you're going to be exalted. The reality is you're going to be brought low. The reality is that whenever we think we've got it together, we have all of the answers, then we're too prideful to see what God is doing. And therefore, according to Jesus' prayer in verse 25 and 26, we see that God hides the work of the kingdom from those who think they are wise and understanding. Do you remember what else Jesus said? He said he came for the sick. It's the sick who need him, right? Is he saying that not everyone is sick? No, he's saying all of us are in need of a savior, but not all of us acknowledge our need. So that's what Jesus is praising the Lord for, that whenever those who are high and mighty and think they've got it together, they're missing out on what God is doing, but whenever we are humble and see our need for him, that's when his will is revealed to us. So verse 25, it says, but he has revealed these activities of the kingdom to little children. What does he mean by little children? He's talking about all the kids that sat up here uh, uh, on the stage a moment ago. He could be, but he's not literally talking about age of kids. Rather, he's talking about coming to him with a childlike faith, with a simple faith, with a humble spirit. Why were these cities doomed to judgment in verses 20 through 24? Because they didn't repent of their sin, and so judgment was coming. But the cities and individuals who do see their need for a Savior and repent of their sins and come to the Lord, then we experience salvation. So we come back to his statement in verse 28. Come to me. Come and follow Jesus. That's what his call is. Look down in verse 27. He says, all things have been handed over to me by the Father. So in other words, he has authority. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So at the end of verse 27 and the beginning of 28, we have two things that seem to be in contradiction to each other, but they are not. 
In the end of verse 27, we see that we can only come to the Father or know the Son if we, the Father, if we are, if it is revealed to us by the Son. And yet in verse 28, it says that we are to, to come to Him. So which one is it? Does God choose us or do we come to Him? The answer is yes. You see, he does choose us. He is sovereign. Salvation comes only through him by his grace, by his sovereign election. And yet at the same time, he does call us to step out in faith and come to him. I don't have the time to really unpack this right now, although I would love to chat with you offline at some point. There are two sides of the same coin. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. The fact that Jesus chooses us does not negate our choice or response to his choice of us. You see, Jesus is calling you to come to him. Have you come to him? If he has revealed himself to you, then I encourage you, I implore you to respond to him by coming in faith and repentance. What does it mean when we see that it says the Son reveals the Father? What does it mean when it says, come to me? It simply means this. God's word is clear. All of us are sinners and in need of a savior. Every single one of us have been prideful on our own and rebellious against God, thinking we've got it all together, calling our shots, living our life like we want to, and instead of coming to the Father, we run from the Father. And the Bible says that because of our sin, all of us, 100% of us, deserve death. All of us will experience death, not just physical death, but eternal separation from a holy, perfect God. But the good, good news, the gospel is that Jesus was sent to reveal the Father to us. He came to live a life that we cannot live. He came to die a death that we deserve. He came to be raised on the third day, overcoming sin, death, and everything. If we would turn in repentance and I don't know what happened right there. If we would return in repentance and in faith and receive the free gift that's given to us. You see, it's all God calling us, choosing us, revealing himself to us, and there's also this human responsibility to come to him. So my question is, if you come to Jesus for salvation, today can and should be the day of salvation. Once we do come to Jesus, what happens after we come to him? Look at the next statement on your sermon outline. Jesus commands us to take up his yoke. Verse 29. When we come to Jesus, he then says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. This is an imperative. It's a command. He tells us to do this. In other words, coming to him involves, necessitates taking up his yoke. It's part of the whole picture. We don't just come to him that our sins might be forgiven, but we come to him that our sins might be forgiven and that he might place his yoke upon us. You're like, I don't know what a yoke is. I don't know what a yoke is either from experience, but I I have been to a zoo and places like that. And so I know what a, what a yoke is. 
A yoke is a bar of wood or a frame of wood that is placed on typically two animals that are work animals. It's placed on their head and neck and shoulders in order that they might work together to get the job done. At the same time, the word yoke was used to explain the restrictions, guidelines, and instructions that a rabbi or a teacher would give to his followers. And so when Jesus says, take up his yoke, he's saying that he has certain restrictions, guidelines, instructions, and things like that that he is placing upon us. The reason why, look back at verse 25, 28, sorry, the reason why in verse 28 he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. The reason is because many of these people were carrying expectations and instructions and restrictions, a yoke of other rabbis that was anything but restful. They were very difficult and burdensome. You see, the Pharisees had placed all kinds of undue burdens on the people, expecting them to follow them. It's interesting, our daughter is off in college and she uh, is a nanny for several families and many of them are actually Orthodox Jews. And it's interesting to hear how the families she works with are still very restricted by the law in ways that is quite burdensome and troubling. And the reality is many of us may be carrying undue burdens as well. But thinking back to this idea of the Pharisees placing unique and undue burdens on the people, remember what we preached about the last couple of weeks. Howard preached for me last week. We looked at Acts chapter 15. The week before that, we also looked at Acts 15. In Acts 15, verse 10, Peter stands up and addresses the Judaizers. The Judaizers were people that said circumcision and following the custom of Moses was required for salvation. They were placing burdens on the people that were impossible for them to follow. And here's what Peter said in Acts chapter 15, verse 10. He told them not to place a yoke on their necks. A yoke that neither our fathers or we have been able to bear. What Peter says is, whenever we think that the law is what brings salvation, whenever we think that our keeping of the law brings salvation, the reality is we can't do that. And therefore, you're putting an undue burden on them, a yoke that they're not able to carry, because the reality is neither you nor our fathers have been able to carry it, because salvation has never been about work. Salvation has never been about the law. Rather, salvation is about grace through faith in the Lord. And so because of that, Jesus says, take on the yoke of the gospel instead of taking on the yoke of the law. Now hear me carefully. I'm not saying that means we don't need to follow the commandments of the Lord because it is anything farther from the truth than that. But the motive of us keeping the commandments of the Lord is not to earn our salvation, but it's because of salvation that's already there if we've placed our faith and our trust in him that now we're living out that faith. And so what Jesus is saying is put on my yoke, which my yoke is the gospel. We don't earn our salvation. We don't earn God's love. We don't maintain our salvation by doing good works. The gospel says it's all the work of the Lord done on our behalf and calling us to obedience through his power and his strength. 
Jesus says, take on my yoke. In verse 25, I mentioned it, that Jesus calls us to come to him. And the reason he tells us to come to him, or not the reason, but he tells us to come to him knowing that we are laboring and that we are heavy laden in verse 25. Without Jesus, we're carrying a load we cannot bear. So I think about me trying to carry that igloo playmate through the woods that day just is comical. But what is not comical but a bigger, better picture is this. Can you imagine if I decided I needed the whole refrigerator? And so I don't have a dolly. I don't have any help. I don't have any tools. I don't have anything except for these guns right here that are not going to very successfully pull. And I'm talking about a full-size refrigerator. I'm not going to be very successful in trying to pull that bad boy down the trail for a mile or two or three or even shorter than that to set that thing up. It's impossible, right? And yet so many of us are going through life dragging, pushing, pulling, shoving a huge refrigerator through the woods all by ourselves and we can't do it. We can't bear the load. We can't bear it alone. We can't keep the law. We can't please God. We can't earn his love. We can't escape the pain of this life. We're strapped down by sin. We're strapped down by baggage and, and, and weight. We're strapped down by the effects of sin that's all around us. So that load you're carrying today, could it be that it's the result of sin, either directly or indirectly? Could it be that you're trying to carry this load that just isn't possible for you to carry? Jesus says, put it down. Stop carrying the load you're carrying. Put on his yoke. It's a light and easy yoke. You're going, wait a minute, hold up. Why would I put down one burden to just pick up another? Why would I put down one yoke to just put on another yoke? I, I, I don't mean this personally, but I really don't want a yoke on my shoulders, period. So why is it that Jesus says, come to me if you're weak and if you're weary and if you're heavy laden and you're laboring and I'm going to give you rest and the way I'm going to do it is by putting a yoke on you. What is that all about? Look down in verse 30. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That word, my yoke is easy, can also be translated, it's good. My yoke is good. It can also be translated, my yoke is kind. His yoke that he asks us to carry is not heavy. Rather, it is good. It is right. It is easy, it is light, it is kind. You're like, that doesn't make sense to me. Look back in verse 29. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is gentle and lowly. Jesus is mild and humble and gentle. Jesus is meek and mild and kind. He's loving, he's merciful, he's approachable. 
all of these things because of his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. Remember with me, maybe you know this verse, John 3.17. It's after the most famous Bible verse in the the verse in the Bible, but John 3, 17, Jesus said that he came not to condemn the world, but to bring salvation. You see, his posture is not one of trying to constantly point his finger at us and strike us down, but his posture is open arms. But in this moment, let me pause and say, be careful where you go with those statements that I just shared. Because Jesus himself says he is not mild and lowly to every single person. Jesus does not have his arms open to every single person. Rather, he is striking some down in judgment. You're like, what is that all about? Look back at Matthew chapter 11, verse 22. Jesus reflecting on how bad it is for some of these cities that did not repent. He says, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And then verse 23, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been, remained until this day. What he's saying is Sodom, the most evil, wicked city of all times, was actually better off than some of these other cities because these other cities had seen the work of Jesus and it completely rejected him. What Jesus is saying is, yes, I'm mild and lowly and gentle and meek and kind and forgiving and merciful, but at the same time, at the very same time, on the other side of the coin, I bring judgment and wrath on those who don't repent. Jesus says that we need to turn to him and come to him in repentance in order that we would experience this gentle and lowly aspect of who he is. And therefore, we can carry, or we're not carrying it, but we can have his yoke put upon us. Look at verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This word in the Greek, learn, is the same root word or has the same root word as the word for making disciples. And what Jesus is saying is put on my yoke and I give you the curriculum. Put on my yoke and I am the curriculum. Put on my yoke and I'll empower you to obey me. When we take up his yoke, he teaches us what it means to follow him. When we're not yoked to the law but yoked to Jesus himself. And then right in hand with that, the third point on the bottom of your note says this, that Jesus gives us rest. When we come to him, when we take up his yoke, he gives us rest. We see that in verse 28 and 29. He says it two different times. At the end of 28, I'll give you rest. And then at the end of 29, you will find rest for your souls. Jesus promises everyone who comes to him that you will find rest in him. He says that he will give us rest for our souls. What does this mean? Does this mean that the Christian life is easy or a walk in the park or, or no problems whatsoever? Absolutely not. That's not what he's saying. You're like, okay, so the Christian life is tough? Yes, it is. You're saying the Christian life involves obedience? Yes, it does. So how is that not burdensome? How is that restful? How does that bring rest to my soul? What does it mean when he says that we'll find rest for our souls? It means we'll find rest because we've been put right with the Father. When our sins are forgiven, when we deserve death, uh, when we deserve judgment, when we deserve his wrath, and yet we're forgiven of our sins, that, my friends, brings us rest. 
when we understand that it's not anything that I do, it's all what Christ has already done for me, that brings me rest. Whenever I realize that I just simply am called to commit my life to him, that brings rest. Whenever I think about his goodness, that brings rest. When I think about the gospel and not what I earn or do for God, that brings rest. When I think about being able to come directly to him because of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ and boldly approach the throne of God, that should bring reverence and respect and, respect and fear, but it also should bring rest. When I think about the sovereign Lord that's in charge of this whole universe, knowing that I don't have to carry my burdens by myself, that brings rest. I want us to understand that while he says we will find rest, that does not mean bring your sleeping bag, bring your pillow, lay down and do nothing for the rest of your life and just kick back and enjoy and be on an eternal vacation. Oh, man. You see, the Christian life still involves work. The Christian life still involves obedience. The Christian life still involves commitment to him. But the difference is we're no longer, it's, we're not ceasing to work for the Lord. But our motivation for working changes and shifts dramatically. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We're quite familiar probably with 8 and 9, and hopefully you're familiar with 10, but let's look at them in context together. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So we don't work for salvation, and he says that clearly in verses 8 and 9, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Whoa, hold up. 9 just said we don't work, 10 says we do, what's the deal? We don't work for our salvation. But once salvation comes our way, we are made, we are manufactured, we are God's poem, his poetry, his workmanship, his work of art to go out and do his work. So when it says Jesus gives us rest, we must understand it's rest in the sense of gospel and security in him and not dependent upon me. And yet, because I am yoked to Jesus, I can live for him and be obedient to him. And his Holy Spirit has worked within me and I can follow him. So I want to close out with this as my friend Ruth sings to me and says, Alan, you're done. All of us are carrying junk in life. Every single one of us as I look out and I see three babies at least four babies in this room although one may be out in the hallway right now I'm seeing young infants in here mamas daddies I know it's tiresome some of you just have the burden of being weary and physically tired you don't have to have infants to be 
physically tired, of course. But no doubt, all of us, to some degree, spiritually, we are carrying a load. My question is, what are you carrying? What has you weary and heavy laden this morning? Are you working hard for salvation? Are you trying to live a moral life? Maybe you're busy doing things for God instead of being with Jesus. Maybe you're not truly yoked with Jesus, but you're yoked with everything else. Some of you, your burden may be trying to please others. Others of you may be experiencing the burdens of everything going on in the world. Some of us may be dealing with fears and concerns that weigh us down. Some of us may have sin in our life that needs to be repented of. Some of us may not be forgiving others and haven't experienced the forgiveness of others. Whatever is in your life that is a burden that you're carrying, why not take Jesus up on his offer? Why not come to him and experience his rest? Why not take off that knapsack you're carrying and put on his yoke instead? Why not trust him? You see, nothing else brings rest. No amount of sexual uh, involvement brings rest. No amount of overeating brings rest. No amount of overspending money brings rest. No amount of popularity brings rest. No amount of partying brings rest. No amount of climbing the corporate ladder brings rest. None of, no, no gathering of stuff brings rest. Not, not the latest technology. Not oversleeping. Not running away from the pain. Not trying harder. Not doing better. None of those things bring rest. But to rest in Jesus, you have to first come to him and trust in him for salvation. Jesus is revealing the Father to you this morning. What is he saying to you? And will you come to him, lay your burden down, and rest in him? Let me lead us in a word of prayer.